We're going through the book of Deuteronomy right now, and we're going a little bit out, out of order. Last week, Pastor Michael spoke from Deuteronomy chapter 15 when he spoke on slavery. Actually, the week before that, we were in Deuteronomy 16 when Pastor John spoke on the Feast of Passover. So today we're going to hit Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. This is in your bulletin, and um, if you're following us online, you can also this will also show up on the screen as I read this. So let's read the Word of God together. Deuteronomy Chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days, when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your winepress. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. This is the word of God. And uh, you might also notice, if, you look, if you're looking at the bulletin, we have Zechariah 14. And we'll look at that passage um, in just a few moments. I want to begin with a question for us. And this is a question. Where were you exactly two years ago? Where were you exactly two years ago? I will tell you where I was. Exactly two years ago, I was at Marshall Elementary, just a few miles from here. And many of you here on the field, many of you joining us on the live stream were also there. It was a Sunday, March 8th, and it was the last time that Indelible Grace Church met at the school before the pandemic shut everything down. That's two years ago. Um, two years have passed since everything was turned upside down for us. And what do you remember from the first few days of the lockdown? How have the past two years been for you? What has transpired? What have you gone through personally? What has your family gone through? What good things? What bad things? I ask you this question because there are certain events that happen to us that stay with us. And if we continue to dwell on them we always remember them. There are certain things that happen in our lives. There are weddings and births, uh, meeting someone for the first time or saying goodbye to them for the last time, watching your favorite sports team win a championship. Maybe you began a job or you left a job. Certain big things happen in our lives that we just think, man, these are monumental events and I will never forget them. What about this pandemic? Uh, we're still in the pandemic, and maybe we can still remember certain things about uh, the past few years. In, in some ways, it feels like it was uh, just yesterday that this began. In other ways, it seems like it was 20 years ago that it began because it's just become such a, uh, a normal thing for us. Not necessarily a comfortable thing, but a normal thing for us. But how will it be in five years? How will it be in 10 years? How about 40 years from now? When you look back on the season, how much will you remember and how much will you forget? We all forget things that we think are so big and monumental. Things that we, we say we'll never forget. Um, we forget them. 
one day the things that mattered to us, the things that changed us and shaped us, the memories of those things will fade. The details will become hazy. And we all know this. Implicitly, we all know that we're going to forget things eventually, even though we, we may not in the forefront of our mind realize it. This is why we take pictures. This is why memorials exist. This is why we had yearbooks in high school. Do you remember what you guys would write? I'm never going to forget you um, in junior high or high school. And then I bet you you haven't remembered these people at all since then. If you look on your Facebook account, it's going to pull up memories. This happened 12 years ago. This happened 7 years ago on this day. And these things pop up because we have a proclivity to forget the things that matter to us. And I ask about this pandemic. What do you remember from the past two, two years? This sermon is not about the pandemic. I just use the pandemic as a, as a marker for us because this is a shared experience for all of us. This sermon is about remembering. It's about rejoicing. It's about celebrating and anticipating. It's about us looking back to how God has been faithful to us. In our passage today, it talks about this feast, one of the celebrations that the Jews observe, the Feast of Booths. Um, it's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, the, the Jewish people, they call this Sukkot. Sukkot um, that's uh, the, the Hebrew word for tent. Um, other people call it the Feast of Indwelling. Uh, we're going to look at this feast. We're going to look at the significance of it. We're going to look at what this means for us as believers today. So uh, we have three points. The first is the purpose of remembrance. The second is the command to rejoice. And number three, the anticipation. So these are three points. And before I look at our first point, I want to explain to you what the Feast of Booths is. So we just had a very short um, passage that uh, just in a few verses, um, it gave us a little bit about the Feast of Booths. But there are other passages in the Old Testament that tell us about the Feast of Booths. Um, in Zechariah, in Leviticus, in um, in the New Testament, actually, Jesus, uh, there's a scene where Jesus is celebrating with the Jews at the Feast of Booths. And we'll look at that passage uh, toward the end of the sermon. But what was the Feast of Booths? This was a harvest feast. This was a festival that took place at the end of harvest. It was a happy time. It was a celebratory time. Um, almost everyone attended this festival um, for two reasons. Um, the first one was just because it was such a, a fun thing for people to be a part of. Um, there was a lot of color, there was celebration, there was good food, people were happy, people were rejoicing. Um, and the second was that this was required for every Jewish male that lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem. So uh, the 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 worshipers, they came to celebrate, the throngs came, this was a big event. Um, and people, what they would do is they would set up tents at the Feast of Booths. Um, tent, the booths are another word for tents. And this is the festival when the, the worshippers would gather and they would erect tents, just very simple tents. Um, and you would see, uh, as far as I could see, tents, 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 tents. They would be on the streets, in dark alleys, in the courts of the temple, on rooftops. Um, anywhere where a shelter could be erected, maybe something about as big as this tent right here. Um, 
the tents were built, and these tents were built with really thin walls, um, and the roof, there were requirements for how these tents were to be built. The roof was built with, um, just very, very simply, there'd be branches placed on top, maybe a thin, uh, a thin veil that you could see through. And the reason for this was so that the stars could be seen at night. So when you went to sleep, you could look up in the skies and you could see the stars. And in addition to this festival being one where they looked back at the harvest, where they would think about how God had provided for them, they'd also be thinking about how they, as perhaps they or their ancestors, they they dwelled in the wilderness and they had to stay in tents every night. And just like they did years and years ago, they were reenacting this and remembering that at one time they also stayed in a tent in the wilderness. They looked up into the sky. They could see the stars. And this was to remind them of how God had provided for them. So this is the Feast of Booths. And in a moment, a few moments, I'll, just, I'll talk about um, elsewhere in the Bible how this is not just something that the Jews were to look back on, not something that Jews were to celebrate in the present moment, but also something that all of God's people could observe because we're all looking forward to something when we observe the Feast of Booths, this Feast of Tabernacles. So this is an ongoing thing. The Feast of Booths is not just something that we look at in Deuteronomy. It's something that is observed today by practicing Jews. It's something that we're actually commanded to observe now. This is something that God's people are supposed to do. So um, that's the background. Let me look at the, let's look at the first point, the purpose of remembrance. The purpose of remembrance. So like I mentioned before, the Jews, they gather for the Feast of Booths and they are thinking about the harvest. Um, This is the end of the season. They've reaped what they've sown the rain has fallen. The produce has sprouted from the earth. They have gathered everything. And they're saying to God when they celebrate this, that God, you provided for us in this season. You are the one that has been so good to us. And we remember how you have been faithful to us. Not just in this past season, but in previous seasons, decades ago, Centuries ago, you have been good to your people. You have kept your promises. You provided for us. We are beneficiaries, even today, of what you've done for us in the past. And these Israelites, as they are commanded to celebrate this, as they're commanded to observe the Feast of Booths, it's for them to remember God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness. And... If you're familiar with the Old Testament story, extraordinary things happened when the Jews were in the wilderness. God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. When they were chased, God miraculously provided for them. Do you remember the the water parted and the Jews were able to go through that and the enemy was swallowed up when the waters closed in on them. They were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God provided food for them every single day, manna, this heavenly bread. Their clothes did not wear out. Their shoes did not wear out for 40 years. This is amazing. And and if, if you think about it, you would think, man, if I were there, I would never forget what God did for me. I would never forget the things that I saw. 
I would never forget how God provided for me. But the Jews would forget. And a big part of the entire story of the Bible is a fact that God's people forget that God has been good to them. So God's people need to be reminded of what God has done. Even miraculous things that you would think they would never forget, they began to forget. So God says, here's a feast of booths for you. You need to remember what I've done for you. You need to set your mind on God to think about how He has been Jehovah Jireh, your provider, the one who has always been on your side and has always provided for you. What about us? How has God been good to you? What have you forgotten? Part of being human is to remember. We live as finite creatures on this uh, spectrum of of time. And chances are you're not going to remember that you sat on the field here at San Felipe on a Sunday in March. You most likely won't. Most likely, you're not going to remember the words that I spoke today. Because here's the truth as a preacher. um, I don't remember some of the things I say by Monday morning. But we're supposed to remember. We're supposed to remember what God has done for us. One of my favorite authors, his name is Frederick Buechner. And um, he has this great collection of essays in a book called A Room to Remember. And here are a few quotes from that book. To remember the past is to see that we are here today by grace, that we have survived as a gift. Remember, he continues, there is a deeper need yet, I think, and that is the need, not all the time surely, but from time to time, to enter that still room within us all, where the past lives on as a part of the present. This is, he's referring to this place, a a room called Remember. Um, he's, he's giving us this image. Within us is a room. And in that room is a place where we sit down and we remember who we are, who God is, what He's done for us. That's still room within us all where the past lives on as a part of the present, where the dead are alive again, where we are most alive ourselves to turnings and to where our journeys have brought us. The name of that room is Remember. The room where with patience, with clarity, with quietness of heart, we remember consciously to remember the lives we have lived. To be human is to remember. It's to confess that you are finite. That there are things that have happened that you're prone to forget. But in those moments, God has worked. God has shaped you. Behind the scenes, God was working out a thousand things on your behalf. And yet we forget them. We forget them. Um, I kind of like etymology. Etymology is the the study of words. And uh, if we break down this word remember, um, remember, remember, two parts It's saying to us this, um, you're making 
something, a part of yourself again. Just as my arm is a member of my body, um, I'm remembering, I'm making something a part of myself again when I remember something. I'm saying that there are things that are part of my life that I need to make a part of myself again and again and again because these are vital parts to who, to who I am as a person, to who I am as a son or a daughter of God. And in the Bible, we're told we need to remember things. We need to remember things because we're prone to forget. Let me read to you from Psalm 103. This is not in your bulletin, but just listen as I read the psalmist telling his soul, speaking to himself because he knows he's going to forget. Listen to Psalm 103, the first five verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and listen to this, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pits, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The psalmist is telling himself, he's not telling other people, he's telling himself, soul, you forget so often, you've forgotten his benefits. So I need to tell myself this, Bless the Lord. I need to tell myself, bless the Lord. I need to tell myself that the Lord has healed me, that He's forgiven my sins, that He's redeemed my life from the pits. He's crowned me with steadfast love and mercy. He's satisfied me with good, that my youth is renewed like the eagles. And I, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I forget that all the time. I forget that all the time. And I need someone to tell me, Forget not all his benefits. What has God done for you? How has God been faithful? Have you forgotten? There's another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and uh, that church was a mess. That church was a mess. And this is one of the things he says to them. Do you not, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, be dece- do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. He's telling the Corinthians... Do you remember in the past that you were like this? Do you remember that you were rebellious against God? Do you remember how he's transformed you? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is telling Corinthians, I know that you're going to forget these things. This is why he's telling them, such were some of you. Remember your past. Remember what you were once like. So why do we remember? Because we forget. Remember who you were. If you're in Christ, remember who you were before you were confronted by the king of the universe. Remember what he's done for you. Remember how he's changed you. Remember how he's wounded you and how he's healed you. Remember that God is good. There's a story about um, Martin Luther uh, one of the fathers of the Reformation, and um, he uh, 
had someone, a lady come up to him after service, uh, Sunday service one day, and um, she, she told, she asked him a question. She asked um, um, Martin, I don't know if she called him Martin, but uh, there's one of my sheets, hold on. She, she asked him, Martin, um, every week I come, and every week you preach the same thing. You preach the same thing every Sunday. Why is that? And Martin Luther said this. He said, because every week I preach the gospel. And every week you forget and I forget. And every week we need to come again to listen, to be reminded. Thank you. This is why I preach the same thing every week, Martin Luther says. Because we forget. And so it is with us. Um, I bet you that you've probably sinned since we all met last week. I bet you that you've forgotten what was preached, at least parts of it. I bet you that you've forgotten things that you used to remember. So God tells us through the Feast of Booths, remember, remember. That's the first point. The second point is this, the command to rejoice. The command to rejoice. Listen to verse 14. You shall rejoice in your feast. You shall rejoice in your feast. And then the end of verse 15 you're going to remember, actually let me just read the whole verse to you. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the works of your hands. So that you will be altogether joyful. Notice what he says. He doesn't say the Lord's going to bless your hands so you're going to have a huge bounty to enjoy for yourself or to distribute. He says, so that you will be altogether joyful. And here is a wonderful truth for those of us who follow Jesus. That God wants you to be joyful. That God wants you to rejoice. He's so serious about this that He commands you to rejoice. He commands you to be joyful. Now, that's strange, isn't it? Why does God need to command us to feel something? Why rejoice? I'm um, an introvert by nature. And uh, one of the things about me, um, one of my big weaknesses actually, is that there's a... Uh, I, I have thoughts. If you've spoken to me, you might realize that I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy. Um, I'm not very sophisticated or smart. Um, but I do have thoughts in my head. And um, about uh, 5% of my, of my thoughts... I don't know if it's playing pass. About 5% of my thoughts actually come out of my mouth. Within me, there's a lot of stuff that never comes out. And uh, that's something that I need to work on. But there are times when I sit down. There are times when I try to be thoughtful. Um, I need to... This is also another thing I need to work on. I, I need to be more thoughtful. I need to be more self-aware. I need to be mindful of what's happening in me and what God is doing around me. Um, but sometimes I just need to sit down and I need to need to write out what I'm what I'm thinking. Um, that happens once in a while. Um, for you, maybe you don't, you're not like me. Um, but have you ever written a card for someone, perhaps a birthday card or a, 
um, some card expressing appreciation for them. Um, you might be writing something for someone that, in your life that you love. You might say, things I love about you. And you start thinking about, what are the things I love about this person? Um, I love that they're funny. I love that, um, that they seem like perfect for me. I love the fact that they, are, uh, ha- they have a good heart. Or I love the fact that they are X, Y, and Z. And you never would have been able to articulate those things if you didn't force yourself to sit down and think about, why is it that I love this person? Why? And this is the reason why God commands his people to rejoice. He's calling them together to a feast, the festival of booths. For seven days, people of God, I want you to think about why you should be joyful. And I want you to learn to express that joyfulness. I want you to think about what God has done for you. Because remembering is an act of worship. Expressing your joy is an act of worship. Partying is an act of worship. Perhaps eating cake and eating good food and drinking is an act of worship. Why? Because it points us to the giver of all these good things. Because God is good. I will remember. Because God is good, I will rejoice. God's telling us how to respond. This is why he calls us to rejoice. Because he's so serious about our joy. He's saying, I want you to be mindful of this. I want you to remember. If you look in the passage, you'll notice that uh, it's to be done in community. Um... When Moses speaks to the Israelites, here's what you need to do. There are your your servants and your family members. And this joy is something that you're supposed to share with these other people. So part of your worship is to remember, is to celebrate, is to rejoice, and to express that joy to the people around you. To invite others into the celebration Because to love God is to love people. That's how it should be. Um, That's not always how it is for us. It's something we need to um, ask God to help us with. But when we celebrate, um, the proper heart says, I can't contain this. I need to celebrate with other people. I need other people to hear my joy. I need other people to feel my joy. And this is one of the great things about church is um, maybe when you guys sing, you hear other people singing. And um, that's a beautiful thing. One of my favorite things about being with believers is to hear the voices of other people, to sing the words that I'm singing as well, to, to say the truths that maybe I've forgotten these truths, but someone next to me singing them. I want other people around me. So celebration and rejoicing is to be done with others in community. God desires our joy. He wants us to know His goodness. He wants us to experience His goodness and faithfulness. And this is why He tells us, be aware, be mindful, set aside time to remember the faithfulness of God. Think about them, chew on them. Forget not all his benefits. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. That's our second point. The last point is this, the anticipation. The anticipation of God's people as they celebrate the Feast of Booths. 
So we've learned that um, the festival of booths, the, the feast of booths, is one where the people of God are to look back on the harvest and think about how God has been faithful to them, how He's provided the good soil for them, how the, He how He's provided the seed for them, how the sun and the rain was a part of this faithfulness of God. And one of the things about agriculture is when you have those things, there's not much more you can do. You can't talk to the soil to convince it to sprout produce. You can't sing to it. If you watch it, it's not going to go any faster. All you can really do is trust that all the things are working as God intended them to work. So this is what the Jews are doing. They're remembering, yeah, God was good to us in the past. God was good to us in this past season. Um, God was good to us in the wilderness. Yeah, God was really good to us. But that's not all. That's not all. One of the things that the tent signified was this. Um, you remember I, I mentioned this, th- these are how the tents are supposed to be. Um, they're supposed to be simple. Um, you could go online, type in Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T. Um, it's a Hebrew word. And um, you can see modern day examples of tents. And you could tear them down quickly. Um, the same way that you put them up quickly. They're simple. Um, they're actually really frail. Um, and it's to remind the people of God as they're inhabiting these tents. That they themselves are frail that they themselves will one day return to the dust, that they are completely dependent on someone, something else. It's to remind them that they are dependent on God. It's to remind them that one time they were wandering the wilderness and by God's grace, they survived. It's not just remembrance. It's also a prayer to God saying, I recognize my frailty. I recognize how finite I am. I recognize how dependent I am. I have nothing to be proud of in myself. I can only trust in the Lord. I can only trust in the Lord. And I'm banking on the fact that God will continue to be faithful to me. I'm banking on that. And this is why we're told to observe the feast of booths continually constantly we have this passage in Zechariah and um, I'm going to have you look at that I'm I'm trying to look at my notes right here Um, Zechariah chapter 4 so here is Zechariah writing, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. Here it is again. And if any families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This is something that is pretty remarkable, this passage in Zechariah. It's saying it's not just the Israelites, it's not just the Jews. Actually, 
everyone must observe the Feast of Booths, even the Egyptians, even the nations. The Feast of Booths is for us. It's for us to remember. We must remember, we must rejoice, we must celebrate, we must look forward to what the Feast of Booths is pointing to. There's another passage in Leviticus 23, and it's not in your bulletin, but let me read it to you. This is more instruction on the Feast of Booths. On the 15th, this is Leviticus 23, verses 39 through 43. On the 15th day of the seventh month, seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. Uh, first day, last day. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid, splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and the willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. And listen to this. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in the booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Leviticus, this is what it's telling us. That the Feast of Booths is for all generations. For all generations. That means that you and I need to celebrate. You and I need to observe the Feast of Booths. And it's going to happen as this passage in Zechariah 4 says. This is a prophetic passage. Not just the Israelites, but all people that belong to God must observe the Feast of Booths. And how will we do it? How will we do it? I mentioned at the beginning in John 7 that Jesus is at the Feast of Booths. And here is this really happy celebration where all the Jews have gathered to celebrate, to remember, to rejoice, to look forward to what God is going to do, to remember the faithfulness of God. And, And Jesus here, there's this extraordinary scene where Jesus tells the people around him. He's revealing himself to the people. He's saying, I am the light of the world because there was one of the elements of the Feast of Booths in the Gospel of John was the lighting of the candles in anticipation for the one who would come to light up the world. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm the light of the world. There was another element in the Feast of Booths in the Gospel of John where water was poured down a basin. And Jesus says, I'm the living water. I'm the living water. But that's not all. Jesus was taking the imagery of the Feast of Booths. People could see all around them temporary dwellings, these tents, these booths. And Jesus used this festival, this Feast of Booths, to tell his people this. I'm going to read to you uh, a commentator by the name of David Brickner. And this is what he says. In Jesus, God tabernacled among us. Remember, another name for the Feast of Booths was a Feast of Tabernacles. In Jesus, God tabernacled among us. 
He chose to be born into a less than glorious space, where certainly the stars might have peeked through the cracks in the roof, the elements might well have invaded. Nevertheless, in that lowly place dwelt the glorious presence of God, the transient and the eternal beauty, eternal, beautifully coming together in God's provision and presence. Jesus was a fulfillment of this feast. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus dwelt in a temporary dwelling. Jesus tabernacled among his people. In John 1, it gives us this, this imagery that Jesus was the word. Jesus was a was word made flesh. And the word dwelt among us. The other word for that is the flesh tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled with his people for their sake. For their sake. And here's the gospel. That though you have existed, though you have rebelled against God, though you are worthy of nothing from God except judgments because you've rebelled against Him, God provided for you. God gave you soil and water and land and sunshine and rain. He's been good to you. Why? Not because you are a good person. Not because you were able to come up with a list of things that you could do to make God like you so that he would give you what you want. But because of Jesus, on the cross, Jesus took on our pain, our, our, our sin, our rebellion, all the ways we've rejected God. And he received the punishment in our place. And at the cross, we received the perfection, the righteousness of Jesus. So that when God looks at us, he sees not sin, but he sees perfection and righteousness. And God is faithful to us, not because we are good, not because we are worthy of God's faithfulness, but God treats us with kindness and faithfulness because Jesus is worthy. Jesus deserves faithfulness and kindness. And we receive what Jesus earned for us on the cross. So this is what the Feast of Booths is telling us. And this is what, as we think about the Feast of Booths, we remember this, that God has provided for us. And we know that He will continue to provide for us because He's a faithful God, because He's proved His love and faithfulness to us at the cross. We have reason to rejoice. We have reason to rejoice despite what's happening in this land, despite what's happening in Ukraine, despite the economic turmoil, despite what's happening in our families, despite the anxiety and depression and all the stuff that we deal with, despite all these things, we can rejoice because we are held in the hands of a good and faithful God. We can rejoice even in the pain. Why? Because you have Jesus, we are not alone. Jesus has tabernacled among us. Jesus has dwelt in a tent among us. And in that space, we can know the faithfulness that I need is guaranteed because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we are um, humbled because we do not, de- we do, do not deserve your goodness and you, you are good to us. You're good to us, God. I pray that we would not forget that you're good to us, God. Make it true in our hearts that we look to you always in anticipation 
yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. You are the good God, the faithful God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.